is building a culture of synergy. And if you do not know what that means, I'm going to read you a definition that I grabbed straight from Google. I didn't even try. I just looked it up. First definition right there. It said, the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effect. Um, I read this definition to Luke, and he's still laughing at me that I'm even saying this. But he was like, so basically, synergy means me plus you equals better. And so then I made it a point. So here you go. Synergy means me plus you equals better. We are better together. That is the point this morning. We are better together. We produce greater results when we are working together than when we are doing things on our own, right? So this morning, we are continuing our journey through 1 Corinthians as we look at what building a culture of synergy looks like in the context of the local church. So before we get going any further, I just want to pause. Let's pray Let's just step deeper into what the Lord has for us this morning. So, Lord Jesus, we know that you are here. We know that you are present, Lord. And so, Lord, we are accepting your invitation to step into your word this morning and learn more from you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you just reveal yourself through these scriptures this morning, Lord. Lord, we are so grateful that we get to gather as a body of believers, Lord, and we are diving into your word this morning to, dis- to see what that even means, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pr- pray that you reveal yourself to us this morning through this, Lord. We love you so much. We lift you up. Amen. So when we are looking at the letters of the New Testament, which is what 1 Corinthians is, it is important that we look at the context that is surrounding this letter. Okay, so like I said, we're in 1 Corinthians, we are in chapter 12 this morning, and we're looking at the letter that Paul wrote to a church that was planted in the city of Corinth. Okay, well, who was Paul, right? Who was Paul? Well, Paul was a follower of Jesus, and he also was a church planner, and he was the one that planted this church in Corinth. Okay, and ever since their church plant, they have been having all sorts of problems, They were fighting, they were arguing, they were boasting over one another, they were sleeping with each other. I mean, this church plant was absolutely chaos. The city of Corinth was a major city with large ports for trade. So it was a hub of cultural diversity. There were multitudes of different beliefs and backgrounds and experiences and religions. And so seated in this cultural hub, this church planted in Corinth had the opportunity to just set the world on fire by spreading the gospel. But this church was so chaotic, so disorganized, that infected with pride and disunity that they had absolutely no chance of doing so until something had changed. And so rightfully, Paul their church planner, writes them a letter to help them get back on track with what the church, Christ's body, is supposed to look like. So if you will open your Bibles with me this morning, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, where Paul is sharing with the church of Corinth what exactly the church should look like as the body of Christ. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have some out at the welcome desk for you. You can take it home, keep it, it is yours. So, Verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. 
Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would its sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. But are all apostles... Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So, when you interview for a job, a typical job interview question is, what are your strengths, right? What do you bring to the table? What are you good at? And this is your opportunity to showcase the areas that you really excel in because you want the job, right? So some companies may have you take some kind of personality test just so that they can understand you a little bit better, know a little bit more about you, see what you bring to the table, right? And maybe they do the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs. Some people get really into these personalities tests. I get really into these personality <laughs> tests. I'm not even gonna lie. But I also know that if you're not about it, that's fine. That's fine. We can disagree. That's okay. But it has really helped me to understand more about myself. It helps me know what I'm naturally good at. It helps me understand a little bit what my natural struggles are. And to some degree, I think that we all have some sense of self-awareness to know what strengths we have and what weaknesses we have. For example, I know that one of my strengths is that I'm a highly driven person. I get stuff done, okay? I'm really good at being a visionary and I execute that vision, but something I really struggle with because of that is my introvertness. I give everything I have 100%, but that also means that all of my energy runs out really quickly. Like it's over. It's three o'clock, I'm on the couch, right? So I'm aware of what some of my strengths and my struggles are, as I'm sure many of you know as well. And according to Paul, what was happening in the church of Corinth is they were comparing their strengths and weaknesses and invalidating what other people bring to the table and then raising up some specific people with specific strengths. I mean, it would be like if I was running around saying to other members of our community being like, I get stuff done really well. 
and you don't. So I'm better than you. Like that's what they were doing. Or if someone came up to me and they were like, you're an introvert. You don't really talk to people very well, so I'm better than you, right? That's what they were doing. They were shaming each other and invalidating each other's gifts and contributions to the kingdom in order to elevate themselves. And this was a toxic culture of arrogance and pride that led to the disunity of this church as a whole. But Paul says in chapter 12, verse 4, just a few verses before our passage this morning, he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. There are different strengths. Everybody has a different strength, but it is the same God who gifted them all. It is the same God that is working in them all. And so he continues this thought, and this is where we pick up in our passage for this morning, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the same spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So Paul uses this term body, which you've may, have, you've may have heard this before, the church body, the body of Christ, but what does that really mean? Paul is using the analogy of an actual person's body to describe how the church is meant to function. So your body, your personal body is made up of all different parts with all different functions and purposes, right? Your eyes, your mouth, your ears, your heart, your kidney, your brain, your leg, your arm, right? I could just name all the body parts, but they all still are a part of the same body. They all have the same blood pumping through their veins, and they all work to function as one being, which is you. So is the church of Christ. We, collectively, though all differently and uniquely created and purposed with different strengths and weaknesses, work together to form and act as one body, which is Christ. So Paul continues, Now, if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And I just want to pause really quick before we move on, because I feel like it is so easy for us to do this, to fall into this trap, right? We see other people's giftings that we may not have, and so we immediately exclude ourselves from the participation of the kingdom because we can't do what they do. I can't pray like her, so I'm not as important. I can't sing like he can, so my worship doesn't mean as much. I can't get up on a platform and speak to people, so my value to the kingdom isn't as significant as theirs. I'm not really an evangelist. I can never be the person that just talks to a random stranger on a plane about Jesus. I must not be a good Christian. I don't work at the church, so I don't have a place in the kingdom. This is exactly the type of statements that Paul is addressing. I feel like I hear this a lot when we're talking about ministry. I recently did an interview with a college student writing a paper for her Christian ministry class, and they were talking about calling. 
when you were called to ministry? When did you hear your call to ministry? And my answer to her was, I just told her my whole life story. Like, I, I didn't, yeah, I just told her my whole life story. I told her about my strengths, <laughs> and I told her about my weaknesses. I told her about my upbringing and my sweet little family of three. I told her about how I got saved when I was eight and started serving when I was 11 and led my first song when I was in seventh grade. I told her about my teenage self, the mission trip I took to Honduras, the summer I spent in the Appalachian Mountains. I told her about going to college and meeting my husband and becoming a wife and a mom. I told her about my traumas and my pains and the things that have hurt me. I've told her about how my mom got sick and passed a few months ago. But mostly I told her about my relationship with the Lord and how he's always been working in my life and in my heart to transform me more and more into his likeness. And at the end of the interview, I could tell that she didn't really get the answer that she was looking for. Because the answer that she wanted was, well, I prayed, and then God opened the heavens and said, Maddie, you are called to be a worship pastor at Mercy Road Church Northwest. And that's not what happened. <laughs> and what I ended up telling her was that there was an opportunity for ministry in every single part of my life. Right, in every single thing that I went through, and every single person that I met, there was an opportunity for ministry. And that's the thing about ministry. All the word ministry means is serving. So yes, I am called to full-time ministry, but so are you. So is every single person that calls Jesus Christ our Lord. Colossians 3 says, And whatever you do, whether it in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. My role in this season just happens to be inside the walls of the church, shepherding believers to grow more into the likeness of Jesus, specifically through music and worship right now. But your role right now might look like doing ministry in the context of being a nurse. Or a stay-at-home mom. Or an accountant or a parking lot attendant, or a preschool teacher, or a construction worker, or a business owner, or a cashier at a fast food joint. All of those roles are important. That's what Paul was getting at. Every part of the body, every follower of Jesus plays a part in the mission of God. And the church is not limited to what happens here on Sunday mornings or even at Mercy Road Church Northwest. The church is about partnering with God in the restoration of the world through the way of Jesus. And so what Paul is saying here is just because you're not like her or just because you're not like him, you would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. You would not cease to be important because every part is important. Every member has value. Your value is not determined by your role, but is determined by who created you. Your value is not determined by your role, but it is determined by who created you. And so Paul continues, if the whole body were an eye, where would its sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would its sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. So let's continue that thought for a second. A kidney, just laying on the floor, has no purpose. Right? It does nothing. Right? I mean, it would not function the way that a body does. It would not walk, talk, or think, or feel, or hug, or laugh. 
Why? Because it's just a kidney. Even a thousand kidneys put together still does nothing. They're not going to work. They're not going to do what they're supposed to do, right? But the body needs the kidney. When working inside the body, it has a very specific purpose and function. It serves as a vital organ that filters out the waste from your body and plays a pretty big part in keeping you alive. And it was intentionally designed by God to execute this specific function so that in conjunction with the rest of your body parts, it serves to be you. In the same way, you were uniquely created in the image of God. In Paul's words, God created you just as he wanted you to be. But no matter who you are or what you do, you have a purpose and a role in God's kingdom. And each of us, though different, work together to act as Christ, to live out and serve using our gifts for the purpose of the body of Christ. And this should give us all the measure of confidence, but it should also push us towards humility. Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You have to remember that Paul is writing this letter to a church plant that has been elevating one or two specific giftings above the rest and giving those gifts and those people all of the intention and all of the glory. It caused division, it caused hurt, arguments, inflated egos. And although this context doesn't necessarily apply to our church body that doesn't do that, but may we be the first ones to ever repent if we do, the principle of the matter, I believe, does apply to our hearts. We must understand that since we work together as one body, since all of us play a role, we must also understand that our part, our contribution, is not better than or more important than the person sitting next to you. A kidney can't do anything on its own, right? But neither can an arm or a brain, or a heart, or your eyes, or any other body part. Culture teaches us that we must be the best, right? We've been taught that our life goals must look a certain way with a heavy importance on being the best. I mean, heck, that's the American dream, right? The American dream is built on upward mobility. We get promotions. We care about building wealth. We want to be noticed. We think our ideas and our preferences are better than others. And there's an undeniable need that to be the best at work or to be the best in our homes, right? The breadwinner of our family or the one doing all the chores or we need to be the one in control or the one we need to prove ourselves. I mean, we even fall into the trap of being the best Christian. Like, what does that even mean? 
But what does that do? What benefit does the spirit and attitude of self-preservation and self-elevation have? I mean, if we're always trying to be the best, if we're always trying to be on top, if we're always trying to be number one, that means that somebody else has to suffer because of it. Somebody else has to fall. So if we're always trying to be the best, it's always at the expense of somebody else. But we call that Christ-like? We call that following the way and the path that Jesus laid for us? I mean, Jesus teaches us that if we want to be the best, if we want to be first, then we have to be willing and wanting to be the least, to be last, to build up others. And that is downward mobility. We must first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you, right? Matthew 6, the idea of purpose and humility must work in tandem with one another. We understand that the thing or act that we do is not the determiner of our value, right? But that also means that we have to understand that the thing or act that somebody else does is not the determiner of their value. If what you do does not define you, then what you do does not define them. We are not in competition with each other. This is not a competition. We're on the same team. We are on the same body. And there is absolutely no reason for us to be looking at our other team members and declaring that what we do is more important than them. And maybe it's because we feel like we're going in alone and it's so easy to look at others that you feel aren't contributing as much and say, I don't need you. It would be better if I did it myself. Your contribution to the body isn't worth a discomfort of a conversation. But just imagine this. What if... Instead of looking at other people as difficult or frustrating or less than, we took the time to understand and see them as the unique and beautiful creation that God breathed into existence, right? That they have just as much value as you do, that God loves them just as much as he loves you. And while, yes, the brokenness of sin still does exist and makes things complicated and difficult. I completely understand that. But also, we know and understand that by the blood of Jesus, every mistake and sin was covered on the cross. And he gives immeasurable grace with no timeline. And we're invited to step into that as we grow in wholeness. So what would it look like if this community was only building up one another? What would it look like if we validated other people's giftings and their strengths and their background because they're just as important? There is a beautiful humility and recognizing that what I bring to the table, the gifts that I have are no better than what anyone else brings to the table because when it comes to the church as a body with different parts, we all contribute different and equally to the advancement of the kingdom. When it comes to the church as a body with different parts, we all contribute differently and equally to the advancement of the kingdom. So Paul says, now you are the body of Christ 
And each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, all apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. But are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And he's leading us to the obvious answer, which is no, right? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. And I just have to continue on really quick because what he says next is just an absolute game changer. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Friends, we can talk about gifts and we can talk about purpose and we can talk about humility all day long, but if we don't have Jesus, then this means nothing. You could easily go back and read that and say, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have Jesus, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy that can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have Jesus, then I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love or Jesus, I gain nothing. Because without Jesus, it's nothing. I'm going to read a quote really quick from John Marks Comer's book, Guarded City, which goes into this top topic a lot more in depth. But he says this, on one level, there is no difference between a barista who's a follower of Jesus and one who's not. They both make the exact same thing, really good coffee. But on another level, a barista who is a follower of Jesus should go about it with love and humility and joy that is infectious and makes the people around them question why. And some of you may be sitting here this morning saying, this is all really great, but what if I don't know which part I am? What if I don't know my role in the kingdom? What if I, what do I, what if I don't know what I should contribute? or how I'm supposed to contribute. And for starters, I just want to make this very clear. I believe that everything you do is your ministry and is your contribution to the kingdom. But beyond that, I would say that there's a great immediate step that you can take this morning, which is signing up for Rooted. Rooted is a 10-week discipleship class. Uh, it starts next week, and it goes into these topics a little bit more in depth, talking about identity and purpose. And if you're interested in that, you can actually sign up on the QR code that is on the seat back in front of you. But as a more reflective answer for you, just like that job interview that we were talking about where you go and identify your strengths, what are your strengths? What are you good at? What are your giftings, your talents? What about... What about your season of life? Where are you located right now? What are you doing? Where do you go? Who do you see? What do you do? Or what breaks your heart and God's? 
What is the thing that just captivates you? You can't, can't stop thinking about it. Maybe it's the homeless community. Maybe it's the struggles of single parenthood. What is that thing that breaks your heart and also breaks God's? And when you put these things together, you can find, you can step into maybe what your purpose is, what body part you are. I'd say that I am a musician. I am a mom. I also really, really care about people who have struggled with unforeseen illnesses. My mom was diagnosed with cancer. That's something that breaks my heart, and I know that's something that breaks God's heart. And so what does that mean for me right now in this season? Here in the local church, I am serving as a worship pastor. I'm able to lead people into passionate worship, and that is such a joy. But I'm also a mom, so my ministry is my household. It's my marriage. It's my relationship with my daughter as she's growing up. That's my ministry right now, too. But also the thing that breaks my heart is just seeing people be struck by these tra tragic circumstances that they had nothing to do with. And so how can I be involved in that? And so I'm involved in a couple of other organizations, too, that allow us to support those things. So what does that mean for you? What are your gifts? Where are you at? And what breaks your heart? If you have lived with someone before, be it your spouse or a roommate or your parents or your siblings, you understand that in a household, there are shared tasks among you, right? Like dishes, laundry, sweeping, mopping, cleaning the bathroom, taking out the trash, paying the bills, going to the store, you know, the dreaded long list. And before Nick and I got married, we were each living on our own. We had to do these things on our own. I took care of my own home. He took care of his, right? I would shop for myself, do my laundry, clean my apartment, cook, just as Nick would in his home, right? I don't know about you all, but I hate, like, hate doing the dishes. <laughs> like, I really hate it. Like, I would do anything else before I had to stand there and wash a bowl. It's true. So I would literally before Nick and I got married, I would literally have piles of dirty dishes in my sink. And I, when I say piles, I do mean multiple. Like, there were multiple of them. And it was disgusting. And it would just get so large until I had the emotional energy to go in there and actually just conquer it all. I mean, it wasn't the best system. I'll, I'll just say that. But Nick, on the other hand, was fine. He's fine doing the dishes. Doesn't bother him. He's cool with it. His problem actually is that he hates doing the laundry because, quote, I asked him why when I was writing this, the hangers make him mad. <laughs> so just, I mean, that's for you. So anyways, the hangers make him mad, so Nick doesn't do the laundry. <laughs> but when we were dating, he just had piles of dirty laundry everywhere. Like, it was gross. I would walk into his dorm room and just be like, what is happening here? Like, this is disgusting. But dishes, he's totally fine with that. There's no problem. 
And when we got married and we blended our lives together, we were used to doing these things on our own, right? So there was no real system. We were both just trying to do it all. This often led to arguing or comparing ourselves to each other, keeping score on who's doing what and who's doing what right. But here's the thing. What if the world was only made up of people like me who are cool doing all of the house chores but just hated doing the dishes? There would be a whole landfill dedicated to just all of the dirty dishes. Like, that's what would happen. But what if I would have just looked at Nick in the beginning of our marriage and said, hey, you're really good at doing the dishes, and that's something I really struggle with. Do you mind covering me in that and making that your household chore that you contribute? And if he would have looked at me and said, hey, I noticed that you have absolutely no problem just like plopping down in front of the TV, just folding all the laundry, putting it away, not getting mad at the hangers. And I really struggle with that. So what if you took that over for me? And that was your household contribution. So in our marriage, our two beings becoming one flesh, one body, my weaknesses, Right? The things that I don't have, the things that I can't do, the things that I struggle with, I gained in Nick when we got married. And his weaknesses, the things that he doesn't like to do, the things that he struggles with, he gained in me when we got married. But in order for this to function healthily in our marriage, we had to stop comparing ourselves to one another and submit our strengths in a humble and lowly way in order for this to function as our marriage, as our one flesh, our one body is supposed to work. We had to recognize that we both play a different but equally important role in our marriage. He does the dishes. I do the laundry. They are different roles. They serve different purposes. They contribute differently to the functioning of our household, but they are both equally important to the functioning of our household. So what would happen if this was happening in our church? What would happen if everyone knew their role and what they contributed? And everyone's contribution, contribution was treated with equal concern. The church would be fulfilling its purpose of reaching and serving its local community. There would be reconciliation. There would be changed lives. There would be addiction defeated. There would be pride turned to humility. There'd be idolizing money turned into radical generosity. There would be a people of radical hospitality. I mean, the list just keeps going and going and going. Our church's vision is to see a thousand spirit-filled people added to Indianapolis by 2030, but do you think that's gonna happen if I just do it by myself? I don't even know a thousand people. I don't even think I know 500. But this vision will only happen if every single one of us joins in with what God is already doing here. I mean, but there are some of you that have just been sitting on the sidelines for way too long. God is looking for partners. I mean, that's what the whole Bible is about. The whole Bible, that's what it's about. It's about God looking for partners to join in with what he is already doing. And if you don't know where to start, start by looking at where God has already placed you in this season. But for those of you who just really don't know, you just really don't know, you're struggling, 
You're like, I don't even know what my strengths are. I don't even know what I'm good at. A really great and easy way to start is here, inside the walls. I mean, we need help. (laughs) Volunteering inside the walls is not the end goal. It really isn't. We want to see you on mission in your local community. Like, that's what we want to see. But if you don't even know how to get there, volunteering here is a great way to start. Because you can screw up and we got your back. No, but there's opportunities to serve in kids and students here on the worship team, back behind the scenes with production and the host team, the prayer team, the fellowship and special events team. I mean, and those are just a few examples. And if that's something that interests you, you can check that out on the QR code on the seat backs as well as you can come talk to me or someone at the welcome desk after service. But just try. Remember what synergy means? Me plus you equals better, right? We are better together. Scripture says that the church is the bride of Christ. It is the church. All of us united together, not me. I'm not the bride of Christ by myself. But it is the church This one body of believers, all equally contributing and equally sharing, is the bride of Christ. So what steps do you need to take this morning? Do you need to join a team? Do you need to go through Rooted? Do you need to figure out how your part fits within your current seasonal context right now? Do you need to submit the part that you're currently contributing before the Lord in humility? We're going to respond in worship. But as we do that, I just want to invite you into a moment with the Lord. Because remember, without Jesus, without love, without the Lord of Lords, It means nothing. And so we need him. So I just want to invite you into a moment with him. Reflecting on some of those questions. Maybe you need to say, God, like, what do you have for me right now? Make me aware of where I'm at. Make me aware of how I can serve right now. Make me aware of what I'm good at. Make me aware of what I need to submit before you right now, Lord. So Lord, we just call on you this morning. God, we know that you are faithful. We know that you are are moving in our midst, Lord. And so Lord, we just call on you this morning as we approach your throne, submitting our part, Lord, before you. Lord, there are some people in this room this morning that just don't know how they fit in right now, Lord. And I just, I just pray that you show up to them right now, Lord, and you show them that they belong exactly where they are, Lord. That they are a uniquely, divinely created person, Lord. And that they see that their value is not in what they do. It is not in what they contribute, Lord, but it is just in you and who you called and created them to be. And Lord, there are some of us right now, Lord, that have to submit what we are currently doing before you, Lord. And say, my part is just as important as everybody else's. 
that my thoughts, my opinions are just as important as everybody else's. That what I contribute, Lord, is just as important as everybody else's, Lord. And so, Lord, we just lift these things to you, Lord. Knowing that you are able, Lord, and you are present and that you are here, Lord, working in our midst, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray that you reveal these things to us this morning, Lord, as we worship you. We love you so much. Amen.